All right, so we are continuing now in our, uh, our, in our series, Longing for Emmanuel, uh, and that is going to, we're going to look this morning at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I invite you to hear these words. Luke writes, In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her her home. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let us pray. God, on this second Sunday of Advent, as we dive deeper and deeper into this month and into the winter season. We are reminded with joy of how you continually show up in the bright moments of our lives and in those seasons that seem to resemble much more the season of winter. We give you praise, Lord, on this day for Mary, for her life and for the things that she has to teach us for her faithfulness and her love. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts this morning, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. One of the things that, uh, that I'm learning more and more every day as being a father is the fact that uh, children uh, have a pretty remarkable way of humbling you. Uh, I, uh, our, our eight-year-old, and in lots of different ways, our eight-year-old uh, is always humbling me because of her disappointment in me uh, and her mother. The, the fact that we don't know everything and the fact that she now knows things that we don't know. Like this week, we, 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 we discovered uh, that Marco Polo, apparently when he first uh, saw a rhinoceros, um, that, that he thought, uh, that's not the question for right now, that, 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 he thought, uh, that he thought that a rhinoceros, he described it as being a unicorn that looked like a, that had a pig's face. Did you know that? 
Well, we didn't either, but apparently we should have, because Shaughnessy knew it, and she told us, and, and that was good, but she was a little disappointed, right? As, as oftentimes it's the case that, that we didn't know that. Our, our six-year-old, she's always humbling us because she's so compassionate. I mean, she's just naturally compassionate, and it always makes us feel a little bit guilty because neither, we don't know where she got that from, neither of us have nearly as much natural compassion as she does. Our two-year-old, well, she clearly humbled us because we decided that we would no longer have any more children after her, right? And so we knew that that was plenty after having her. And then our five-year-old, well, she's always humbling us. This week, apparently last Sunday at, uh, at Sunday school, in her Sunday school class, the question was asked, uh, what is Christmas about? And our five-year-old, the pastor's daughter, screamed out with great joy, Santa Claus. <laughs> so, we, you know, we, I, I, we went home, and we, you know, that was fine, but, you know, we, we, we do try to teach our children about Jesus as much as possible and about, you know, what Christmas is actually about, but it doesn't always get through. And a part of that, of course, is because the Christmas season is so exciting when you are a child. Christmas, or children love Christmas. I mean, they love all the stories of Santa Claus, of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, of the Grinch, of Frosty the Snowman. They, they love Christmas lights, right? A couple weeks ago, we went to, it's our first time to go out to Fishers, to the Reynolds, isn't it Reynolds, I think, uh, and all the Christmas lights there. And as we were driving through, the girls are just like, oh, look at that, look over there. I mean, they loved it, right? They were captivated. Uh, we got a tree a, a week or so ago, and when we got the tree, we, we decorated it, you know, you put ornaments, you put up the Christmas lights. And when you kind of plug everything in, I mean, they were sitting there just kind of wide-eyed. I mean, their eyes were almost dancing, and they, they loved it. It's, it. it's great. I mean, Christmas is a great time to have children around because they remind you of the excitement of it all. And I was thinking about that. I was reminded of this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he, he talks about children, and he says that children have open, wide-awake eyes because they are always surrounded by mystery. In many ways, I'll admit that when I am around my children, I kind of wish, whether it's the Christmas season or other seasons, that I could regain some of that sense, some of that childishness, if you will, that childlikeness. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the things that Bonhoeffer goes on to say is that, is that we retain our childlikeness, which Remember, we are supposed to be childlike. Jesus tells us that, that we retain our childlikeness as much as we can retain our enjoyment of mystery. And so the question then for us on this particular Sunday, as we, as we look this week at the sense of Advent and being and, and enjoying the mysteries, what does it mean? What does that mean to be a people who are comfortable with mystery? I think in a lot of ways we see this in the life of Mary. Now, I don't want to start this morning by looking at just the passage that I read. I would have, if I had more time, have read the whole story because I really love the whole story. I think it's a great story. You remember, my guess is, most of you, how that goes. There's Mary, and, and what is she doing? She's minding her own business. When all of a sudden, Gabriel comes on the scene, right? And Gabriel says to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. You remember that? Right? So there the Lord is with you, and we're told that Mary is perplexed, that she is surprised. Well, that, of course, 
isn't too surprising. You would think that would be the case, except for this fact, as I always like to remind people. Why was she surprised? Why was she perplexed? Not because the angel was there, but because, Luke says, of her words. In other words, what was most surprising and perplexed perplexing to her was the fact that she was called the favored one and that she was told that the Lord is with her. Right now, in our day and age, that wouldn't be, you know, we would react a little bit differently, right? Because we're, it's a different culture, right? We're shaped. Our children, we were probably, my age, were shaped a little differently, right? We're so that if Gabriel came and said, hey, you're favored. The Lord's with you. We'd be like, it's about time. The angel gets that, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're created, right? We, or we're culture. We're shaped to be, you know, to think that that's the case, right? Well, for Marion in this time, A, she's a woman in that day and age. B, poor. And C, She's under the oppression of the Romans. That's three strikes. There is nothing in her life that would make her think that she was favored or that the Lord was with her. And so she doesn't really know. It doesn't make sense to her. Why in the world would that be the case? Why in the world would it be that I at all would be uh, that it would at all seem that I was special. So the angel, though, he, the angel continues, we're told. And what does he tell her? He tells her that she is going to give birth, right, to the Son of the Most High, and that his kingdom will have no end. And I love what Mary says. This is one of these great statements of realism that I find to be very uh, intriguing. Right? Because what Mary doesn't say after he gives this kind of litany of what's going to happen with this child that's in her stomach, she doesn't say, whoa, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be awesome. I cannot wait. What does she say? She basically says to Gabriel, look, buddy, I don't know how kids are born up there in angel world. But down here in the real world, that's not the way things happen. You see, I'm a virgin, no baby here. And I love that answer from Mary because she is not afraid to tell the angel, you need to get real. She is not afraid to tell the angel that that's not the way things work. She, her feet are firmly planted in the soil. But that doesn't thwart the angel. In fact, he hardly even responds to her at all. He just continues to go on. And he says, oh, no, this is going to be, this is going to be great. You just, you, you, you just wait. Things are going to be amazing. You're going to, you're going to give birth. And let me also tell you that this child is going to be called the son of God. And that Elizabeth, your cousin, who was said to be barren, she's not barren. In fact, she is already quite pregnant. For nothing, he says, will be impossible with God. And Mary responds with these simple words. Here I am. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Now that is a remarkable answer. In fact, I would say it is an Advent answer. And the reason why I say that is I want you to hear what she did not say. She didn't say, no, 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 forget it. Even after all that, it's impossible. There's no way it's going to happen. Nor does she say, 
Oh, this, this makes perfect sense to me. I understand now how this is going to happen. Of course it's going to happen like that. What does she say? She simply says, here I am, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. In other words, all right, if you say so, I have no idea how that's going to work. It may not make sense to me, but if that's what you say, I am willing to walk into the mystery of this particular uh, phrase. I'm willing to walk into the mystery of what you have told me. I am willing to go into this or on this journey with you, even if I don't completely understand it at all. I am willing to have at least enough faith to believe that it might be possible. If you were here last week, you may recall, or if you've been reading your devotions over this week, the theme of last week was waiting. And what we talked about was the importance of, of living between the now and the not yet, and how that isn't always easy, and that a lot of times we just have to wait. And one of the things we said is that that can be really difficult, especially with the more harsh parts of reality, right? We call that the stump. And that there are times when whatever that might be in your own life, the difficult thing that you do not understand, we have to wait at times to understand that. And there are moments when as you're waiting, you will see little shoots come out and you will see life and some things will begin to make sense and that will be helpful. But there are other times, as we said, where you may not be able to completely make sense of that stump until Jesus returns. And in the meantime, you have to wait. We wait with expectancy. We wait with hope, but we wait nonetheless. And one of the things that became clear to me as I was thinking through this this week is that one of the ways that we cultivate that ability to wait is for us to grow more comfortable with mystery, to grow more comfortable in the ambiguous. We're not always good at that, but one thing that Barbara Brown Taylor says is that Mary, at this moment, she stopped wringing her hands about what was going to happen next, and she decided to be okay with not having everything detailed out. She was okay engaging in the mystery, thinking that perhaps some way God miraculously is going to work through this. But that is not easy for the vast majority of us. We don't really like mystery. We like to watch mystery. We like to read about mystery. We don't like mystery in our own lives, right? And Bonhoeffer, he goes on to say uh, later on as he's talking about mystery, what he says is, he says a part of the reason why we don't like mystery, he says, is because of the fact that we like to lord over everything and have it at our disposal, what that means, another way to say it, is that we like to be in control. You guys know this. We like to be in control. Again, we like to read mystery. We like to watch mystery. What we don't like is when it's in our own life, and especially when it deals with a difficult issue or if we don't know what's coming next. We like to be in control. And one of the things I want us to be aware of is how our culture shapes us. And I think our culture shapes us increasingly so to like to be in control even more and more and to hate mystery more and more. And I'm not even sure we're aware of that. 
A few years ago now, several years ago now, my uh, sister was living in Wiesbaden, Germany. And so my, uh, Meg and I, we, we went over uh, to visit, and uh, it was great. We had a great time. And, and one day, um, my sister said, I'd love for us, let's go over to Strasbourg, France. It's beautiful. There's a wonderful cathedral there. It's just a great little French town. Let's do it. So we said, okay. I mean, what did we have to do? So, so we did. Now, it was about two and a half hour drive from where they were in Wiesbaden to Strasbourg. So we started driving. We got, I would say, we were probably about 75 percent of the way there so we were you know probably been going for about an hour and 45 minutes maybe and as we're going all of a sudden my brother-in-law who's driving I was sitting next to him he looks at the GPS that they had and he said oh no but what well the the battery's about to run out my sister says well let's charge that thing up oh I took the recharger cord he says and I, I left it at the house So the GPS was about to go dead. Now, we had a map. But my sister and my brother-in-law began to talk about the fact that what we needed to do was turn back around again, go home, get the charger, and then turn around and go back. It boggled my mind. (laughs) But to use a map, which again, there's no little blue dot showing you exactly where you are. It isn't the most detailed. It does not give you a step-by-step-by-step, right? Or to have to stop and ask. Now, granted, it would have been in a different language perhaps, but but to try to figure out that was too much. It left them feeling too vulnerable, too much out of control, and they just wanted to go home. Now, look, I'll be honest, it's, it's easy for me to look at that, and, and finally, thankfully, I was able to be, you know, exp- hey, no, we're moving forward. We'll find Strasbourg. It's not small, people. We can find it. But, of course, they're not alone, and, and, and I wrestle with this as well, right? I mean, how many times have you gotten, you know, maybe you, maybe you started in the car with that GPS. Do you remember the day when, when if you were going to a new place, there was only a 50-50 chance you were ever going to find that place? Right? And, and, and someone would give you the directions to their place, but they had been there so often that they would forget just one turn. You remember, it only takes forgetting one turn, right? And, and maybe there isn't somebody to get to help you, or maybe they don't know, right? There was always that sense of unsettledness. We don't like that sense of unsettledness. We, we like the sense. Now, just, you know, a decade or two decades ago, that's how we lived life. We were okay with that mystery. We were okay with not always knowing. We may not have loved it, but, but we were okay. We were used to that sense. Now, if we start feeling that sense of unease, or we don't know exactly every single single step, we would almost rather just go home than even venture out into the mystery at all. And I think those things, you may not think this, but these things begin to shape us. We start liking that sense of being in control. We can buy anything on Amazon right now, and there are always a ton of reviews just to make sure, and we want to read those reviews just to decrease any amount of risk, just to make sure that we are making just the right purchase. We do not like being out of control. We do not like the mystery. We want to know, and I have a feeling that that begins to ooze not just into how we live day to day, but into our own spiritual journey, that we begin to be cultivated more and more into a people who are uncomfortable with not knowing everything when it comes to our journey with God, to being uncomfortable when something difficult happens and we can't explain it to a T. We become uncomfortable when we feel like the Lord is taking us somewhere, but we're not exactly sure how to get there. And more often, perhaps, than we like to admit, we decide 
decide to simply go back home rather than continuing to go on that journey. But Mary was not afraid to continue into the journey. She says, let it be with me according to your word. And then what does she do immediately? She doesn't praise yet. She starts walking to Elizabeth's. And how does she walk there? With haste, which means fast. This is not rocket science, people. Fast. Gee whiz. She begins to go quickly, right? Why is she going quickly? Because she may not love the mystery herself. She's willing to live in it, but she doesn't love it. And if she gets to Elizabeth, what can she discover? Is it true, right? And you can imagine the trepidation as she's beginning to, as she keeps getting closer and closer, right? That nervousness, because if, she, if she's there, all of a sudden she's going to know whether the mystery is true or not. She's got to be thinking, well, how do I ask? I mean, she's been barren. It'd be kind of rude just to be like, are you pregnant? And have like Elizabeth be like, you know I'm not pregnant, right? So you couldn't do that, right? So you, you'd go, you'd try to see what kind of outfit is she wearing? Is it kind of showing something or not, right? Or, you know, what, what's in the pantry? Pickles, ice cream, what's in there? You know, trying to figure out, Lizzie, what's going on kind of thing, right? But but, but thankfully, she doesn't have to do that because as soon as she gets there, Elizabeth pops out, right? And she says, oh, blessed, how blessed am I that you are here? And she begins to confirm what it is that the angel had said. But Mary, of course, would never have discovered that. She would never have been able to engage in that great moment of joy. She would never have been able to see God in that remarkable way if she hadn't begun to venture out and live into the mystery. We would never have seen the beautiful cathedral at Strasbourg if my sister had gotten her way and we had just gotten back because we were not going back and then going all the way back again. There's no way, right? But because of the fact that we said, that Mary said, okay, we may not know the exact step. We're going to keep going forward. And because of that, she experiences God in a remarkable way. Not only that, it is only then that at least outwardly, she begins to praise God with great joy. Not, not right after Gabriel leaves, not even on the journey to Elizabeth, at least we're not told, but after Elizabeth confirms it and after she sees what the angel has said. I think that that's important. I, I want to be clear. I, I hear lots of songs about praising God in the storm, and those are good and important things to sing. And it's good and important for us to be able to do that, but there are sometimes, I want you to know, I want you to have permission that in the midst of wrestling with the stump of your life, a difficulty of your life, or in the midst of the time when you're saying, God, I wish you would be more clear, that there may very well come times when you aren't willing to stand up and to start singing and to celebrate how God has been there. And that's okay. I want you to know in those moments when you are not feeling like standing up and singing praises to God, it's okay for you to just keep going, right? It's okay for you to just keep living into the mystery. Certainly give God praise as much as you can, but in the midst of it, sometimes that can be a challenge. So how do we continue to move forward trusting, as Mary did, that at some point you are going to be able to see somewhat more clearly as you have the faith to live into that mystery? 
As I was thinking about all of this, I was reminded of some work that I've been doing. I, as, as, as some of you know, I've been doing uh, work towards a doctorate, and I, I, um, I, I don't bring it up all that often. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to somebody um, who said, you know what, I think that you should, you should talk about kind of your doctoral studies. People may be interested in that. And I genuinely don't think that most people are. That, that, that's not because I think all oh, people don't care about me. It's just that people have busy lives. I mean, what do you, you know, I mean, Oh, that's cool. Oh, it's not that big of a deal, right? But, but I want to share something because, because she said maybe people would care. And so if you don't care, please don't come and say you don't care to me. Just say you were right, right? So, just, so, so I have been studying uh, over the last two and a half years or so, I've been studying about leadership. And, and primarily it's about how do you lead change in a place like a church, right? Now we've been reading about how you do it in nonprofits or how do you do it with uh, businesses, right? But how do you lead, especially in a time like this uh, where, where everything seems to be shifting, how do you lead and the reality that nobody really, that few people really like change, right? And, and, and basically, I mean, I think the subtitle of this is, is how do you lead change in a church without getting fired. I think that's really what they're saying. And so we've been doing lots of work on this, right, and, and, and learning about, you know, adaptive change versus technical change, all that kind of stuff, yada, yada. So here we are. I'm about three years done with my coursework. Uh, and, and, and so if I had to say, if you were to ask me, Jerry, what are the three top things that you learn? I'm not going to tell you all three, but I'm going to tell you one. And you're going to leave from this place, and you're going to be like, if I didn't go for any other reason, it was because of this. That's good. Are you ready? Are you sure? I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer now. No. It's this, okay? That a leader who wants to lead change has to be willing to say, you ready? I don't know. Mm. Am I right? Now, I realize that they may not seem all that astounding to you, and I get it. In fact, I would suggest that actually that's the exact opposite of what most people want from a leader, right? Most people want the leader, if nobody else, to know what he or she is doing. And if you're leading something, right, the last thing you want to hear is for someone to say, that guy doesn't know what he's doing, or that woman has no idea where she's going next. I, I get it. All of us, right, I, I work very hard to try to look as competent as possible and as if I know what is going on, right? Because it's embarrassing, it's shaming if people don't think that you know what it is that you are doing. You're supposed to, you know, that's why they pay you. That's why they elect you, right? So that you know. So even if you don't know, you should at least act like you know. But what this leadership material says is that in the midst of these times when everything is changing so dramatically, one of the worst things that you can do is act like you have it all figured out, is act like you know and set out this five-year plan, this 10-year plan. This is where we're going because everything is changing so quickly. And that actually what you should do is that you should begin to ask questions. You should act like you don't know what's going on. You should become like a child, remarkably curious so that you're paying attention to things. You're talking to people. You're asking people. You're engaging with others, not just thinking, oh, I don't need to engage with everybody. I know exactly what's going on. You should, in other words, live into the mystery of being honest that you're not entirely sure where this thing is headed. Now, I realize that that may make you feel a bit uneasy. 
But I also think that if we are going to continue to move forward as a congregation, that one of the things that I have to do is to continue to be honest at times that I'm not always sure exactly where it is that we are going. Just like Mary wasn't entirely sure exactly where it is that she was going. She knew, well, here's kind of the end point, but she had no idea exactly how God was going to make all of that happen. And I think that's incredibly important, especially for a day like today, and especially for a church like where we are right now. Today, as you may or may not know, we are going to ordain our elders and our deacons. Now, we have uh, two elders that we're going to ordain here. Most of our folks are at the 1030. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't mean that we're lazy and like to sleep in, and that's why everyone's coming at the 1030. But we've got two elders that are going to be ordained today, and here's the thing that our elders need to know. Two things. First, to be curious, to be excited. One of the things that we need, we need them to be, first of all, realistic. Just like Mary. We don't need to, we don't need to have people who are just like, nope, everything's great when it's not great. Right? A lot of times that's easy for churches to get into. Oh, no, everything's fantastic, even if they're not. Nor, of course, do we want them to be Eeyores to all they ever see are the things that are negative. So we need them to be realistic, just like Mary was realistic. And yet at the exact same time, we need them to be foolish enough to believe with faith that God can do anything with the reality in which we are living. We need them to be a people who are not afraid to live into the mystery, to say we don't know exactly how we're going to get where it is that we're going, but what we do know is that we need to take these steps of faith and risk, that even if we don't know step by step by step, that we are not afraid to continue to Venture forward anyways. And I want you to know that what we need from you all is to support and to pray for them and to be okay when they mess up. And by they, I mean me as well. To know that it's okay for us to take steps of, of risk, that it's okay for us to, to not know everything, and yet it's okay for you all to say, hey, we love you, we care for you. When you make a misstep, we're going to surround ourselves with you in prayer, and we're going to keep moving forward because we don't always know what the next step is going to look like. And we sometimes we need to keep going to Strasbourg. We don't want to just go back home. And I think that ZPC is in a wonderful place right now. Not to stay here, but to keep moving forward. I don't talk a lot about how excited I am about where ZPC is or about where we're going. And a part of the reason why I don't spend a lot of time doing that is because I don't, I don't really like, um, what's the word? I don't like arrogant churches that much. I don't like churches that are like, hey, <laughs> you're not coming here. You're not going anywhere, buddy. I hate to tell you that, right? I don't like churches like that. I like a certain amount of humility in churches. I think that's important. At the same time, I want you to know that I am incredibly excited about the direction in which we are headed and the different opportunities that we have in front of us. We have a property team, as I've talked about before, that's going to be giving us a report here in the next couple of months. We have a community center team that's kind of closed up what they're doing, and we're going to look forward into what's happening in the future. We have an assimilation and hospitality team that I think is going to do a much greater job eventually of helping us to welcome people and then to get people plugged in. We have a growing ministry with Straight Up on the northwest side. We have a lot of great things that seem 
seems to me, that are ahead of us. And I want you to know I am incredibly excited about that. And what we need at this time are leaders who are not going to be afraid to go into the mystery and to take risks and to take chances. And my hope and my prayer is that you all will help to support us in the midst of that. Because I think if we do, then much like Mary and her song, we will be able to celebrate together. Here are two things that are not mysterious that we see in Mary's song. Two things. First, Mary says, I cannot believe it, but the Lord is going to work even through me. Even as lowly of a servant as I might be, the Lord is going to work through me, which means that the Lord is going to work through each and every one of us. What did we always say uh, during our witness or during our Acts sermon, our sermon series? We said, Jesus looked around and said, you are going to be my witness. One thing that is certain is that Jesus wants to use each and every one of us. And the second thing that Mary seems to be certain about is this. That the kingdom of God is coming. Those are two things that we know. As an Advent people, we know that God's going to use us, and we know that God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. How exactly we are going to get there, we do not know. This is the mystery. But my hope and my prayer is that the leaders of this church will continue to work into that mystery, will live into that mystery, will continue to take steps. And as we do so, that we will look back Again and again, just as Mary is able to look back and begin to sing and celebrate how it is that God has used this place. So may we live this week and in the weeks to come into the mystery of God. And even in those moments when we do not have it all figured out, when we do not know every step, may we, may, we, may the leaders coming on board us right now for the class of 2020, May they have the courage to move forward. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are oftentimes a people who want to know every single step. We want to have every answer or every question answered. That is true as well, Lord, when it comes to being in the church, when it comes to leading the church. And there are times, Lord, for every congregation where we may not know exactly how it is we're going to get to where you're calling us to go. But we do know that you are Emmanuel and that you will be with us in the midst of that journey. So I pray, Lord, that you would give strength to these incoming elders and to the deacons, that you would give strength to each one of us in our own lives, wherever it is right now, that if there is ambiguity or unknown, that it will not keep us from venturing forward. Give us courage. Amen.